Well, good morning, C2 Church. How are you doing this fine uh, Sunday after Christmas? Great. Great. Better? Awesome. Well, we're, we're glad that you're with us this morning as we head into 2014. You know, it just, it seems like the older I get that um, I, I make these references. In fact, I made one the other day to my daughter. I say something like, oh, that was just a few years ago or a few years ago when and she said, Dad, what do you mean by a few years ago? And I said, well, uh, it was in 2000, uh, the year 2000. And she said, Dad, that's like 14 years ago. <laughs> so this morning, you can say that you figured out the answer to one of life's great mysteries, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And so you now have that knowledge. Now, I, here's my belief that God created the chicken and put the chicken on earth first because if he would have put the egg there, the dinosaurs would have crushed it. And so that's just my theory. I, I, can't, I can't prove that out. But as we continue our series of the story, it's fitting that as we go into a new year that we start at the beginning in Genesis. Over the last few weeks in, in the month of December, talking about the story, but really talking about the story of stories, how God inserted Jesus Christ into the middle of this story of human story, history. He inserts Jesus. And that's the story of all stories. But if we are to understand that story, we must go back to the beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we read all about it. And I encourage you, while we're not doing an exhaustive study of creation or the book of Genesis, that in your own studies, begin to read, and I encourage you, that video that you just saw, but along with some very uh, insightful Bible studies are available to you on Right Now Media through your subscription, and we as a church are subscribed, and so if you email me at nextsteps at c2church.com, we will get you signed up for what I call the Netflix of Christian Bible study. And so with that subscription, you can study all you want about creation and the Bible and Genesis, some very great ones that I've put in there under our recommended titles. And if you're like me, that's one of your goals at the beginning of the year is to, to read the Bible more. How many of you ever, and probably several times if, if you are like me, each year, January 1st, I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover this year. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to end in Revelation. And so I launch out January 1st. I start reading Genesis chapter 1. You know how many times I've read Genesis? Are you with me? You've read Genesis probably more than any book in the Bible because every year you start it, right? And by January 6th, you've already missed four days. I understand your discouragement. Yes, you've, you've been there, right? And when you look at the list with the check marks, you just feel overwhelmed when you've missed several days and you just can't catch up. Well, let me encourage you. With reading Scripture, you can't catch up. You just continue to read it. And so wherever you're at, just continue to read it. But I, I, I understand because I know the feeling you get when you check the box off, right? Are you with me? There's just something magical about that moment. You get to put that little, right, in that box. So here's the solution. Whatever plan you pick to help you read through Scripture this year, pick something that is four days, right, four days a week. So then you have a little buffer of three days. In fact, pick one that actually has extra blank check marks with nothing behind it, just so you can and, and get that feeling, that magical feeling of having accomplished something. 
Well, I hope you will make it your endeavor this year to read Scripture more. And so let's go to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This definitive statement that the Bible starts with is one of absolute. In a world that doesn't believe in absolutes, this is an absolute statement. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. While everything else was formless and void, there was a nothingness, there was God. And this we know about God, he is absolute. I find it pretty incredible, I read this the other day, that our universe is spinning at a whopping 490,000 miles per hour. I don't even know why the police get all up in arms when I, 75 miles an hour, what are you talking about? We're cruising at 490,000 miles an hour, and it completes a rotation every 200 million years, and there's an approximate 1 billion galaxies, of which our galaxy is one, and our planet is one of those objects in our galaxy. It's unfathomable, the size, the sheer scope of our universe. And we as humans try to grasp and come up with understanding and meaning, and we try to quantify it and be able to comprehend the vastness of our universe. The light that you see in the sky at night, the stars that you see, these distant stars, is light from thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago. Light travels at an incredible rate of speed, yet these planets are billions of miles away. But this light is an absolute. There is light. When you flip the lights on, photons come out and you have light. I'm not sure that's the technical explanation for it, but that's how it works in my mind. But when you flip the switch down, darks do not come out. There just is no light. That is an absolute. You cannot create darkness. It is simply the absence of light. One commentator said it this way, No one on earth knows what light is. We know it moves in waves, and we know that it is made of particles, and we know that particles can't move in waves, and that waves can't contain particles, yet that's what light is. We don't quite understand it, we just see it. We understand just enough to know that it exists. Darkness isn't absolute. Light, however, has no limit. Heat also has no limit. Coldness has an absolute, absolute zero. They, they argue at what temperature that actually is, but it's at, it's at the point where nothing moves. There is no energy. Heat, however, can go infinitely. It has no limit on its energy. 
And it's in this absoluteness that we find God. That at that point where there's infinite energy and infinite light, that is where God exists. In a level that you and I neither can count nor comprehend. Our minds can only consider the possibility. But here in Genesis chapter 1, this great statement, in the beginning, God. God is there in the beginning. And he has the power, the infinite power and energy to create. And so that, at his pleasure, is what he does. If you can continue reading Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. You can follow along on our version app as well, as well as on our screens as we read this morning. But out of this nothingness, this formlessness and void, there is God. And out of that, God creates And in six days, we see, if you read the rest of the account, that God creates all living things. Everything that we know that exists, he creates. But really, did he create out of nothingness? I would argue, actually, first, that he created out of himself. Out of himself is born these things that we know as creation. Out of God himself, he creates And he is sovereign, so he can do that. God is the self-existent one. I remember as a child, one of the first major questions I had in life, and I, I posed it to my parents, was, if God created us, who created God? Have you ever asked yourself that? If God created us, who created God? Because in our finite minds, everything has a beginning and an end. Everything that we know that is has been made somehow, but God is outside of time. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's outside of all that's created because he is the creator. I guess the real question is, if God is has all the power, could he create something so heavy even he couldn't pick it up? (laughs) Blows your mind. But God, he says of himself, his name is I am. He says of himself, basically, I'm self-existent. I'm sovereign. I don't need energy or power from anything or anyone. So truly, it's not out of nothingness, it's out of himself. And truly, the scriptures then reveal that it's not just out of himself, but it's out of his great love that everything is created, specifically us. God created out of love. And we are an expression of that love. David Platt, the author of Radicals, says it this way, that creation was one fashioned by God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in fact, recounts this in John's writing. He says it this way, as he 
quotes, it seems, Genesis chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made. God fashioned and formed everything we know. And he was there in the beginning. And this word not only is the spoken word of God, that he spoke and light appeared. He spoke and the earth was formed. He spoke and everything fell in its rightful order. So God has the power of the spoken word. But then he sends Jesus the living word. And this is what John, the writer of that apostle, is talking about. In the beginning was the word, capital W. Jesus was there. We see Jesus as a baby, but as we discovered in earlier in the series, that Jesus was there at the foundations of the earth, that salvation was part of the plan from the beginning. It wasn't reactionary to humans' condition. It was in the plan from the beginning. And there is Jesus standing at creation, and through him all things were made. Not only are they fashioned by the word of God, but they're sustained by the power of God. In him we live and move and have our being. By him all things are made and have their life and their purpose. God sustains all things. And the third thing David Platt says is that creation is evidence of God's goodness. If you look at... And what Paul the Apostle writes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. His eternal qualities, his infinite power. Qualities that we don't necessarily understand, but can see. And Paul is saying, with all the other things that you think to be true, you are without excuse to miss the fact that creation itself speaks not only to the existence, but in fact to the love and goodness of God, the Creator. And everybody... One day, we'll stand before God without an excuse. No theory will be able to sustain the knowledge you will have in that moment that truly God has created all things. But the writer, Paul, in Romans, continues in verse 24 of that same first chapter of Romans when he says, but they exchanged that knowledge, that knowledge of God and the image of God, they traded it away. We humans traded away that image, that knowledge for images that we could grasp and create with our own hands, with our own minds, with our own thoughts. Things that we could comprehend. But we were made unique. We were made with a unique purpose. Not only is God absolute, but God is also unique. There is no one or anything like him. And out of his uniqueness, he creates his most unique creation, us. 
God creates something unique, not just another creature that would roam the face of earth. Truly, our story starts in Genesis chapter 1 as well. In verse 26, this is what is recorded. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. David, the psalm writer, basically repeats that in Psalm chapter 8, which we just saw the video on. But we were just, we're not just another creature. We are a unique creation, God's handiwork. And we're unique first by our identity. We are created in the image of God. We are His image bearers. We have His stamp. We have His handiwork, His signature evident on us and in us. We are the image bearers of God, his character, his likeness. In Latin, we are the Imago Dei, the reflection of God. And you can see that in various ways, in our creativity, in our freedom, in our language. And the fact that we have been created immortal, We were created holy. We have an eternal soul, something that will never die, and originally created as holy beings, though broken at the fall. We were made directly from the earth, as was every living creature. But something unique about the moment we were created was that God breathed his very breath into us. He gave us his life. And in that moment, the very first recorded procedure of artificial resuscitation, mouth to mouth, at least that's how it takes place in my brain. God, come on, gives us a little CPR, right? That was CPR, never mind. Thought that would be a great doctor joke. But in this moment, God breathes breath into us. His very life, this moment that this being comes to life. The Holy Spirit of God breathes life into us, not just physical life, but spiritual life. The Holy Spirit is breathed into us, giving us life. And we had His holiness. We had God's wholeness. But that was lost in our choice in the fall. And we were given spiritual character. We were created as creatures of love, not creatures of instinct. We were created to love and to be loved. We were created in unique relationship by God and for God. For His joy, for His pleasure and His glory. Now in our human and limited thinking, we think, well, that sounds kind of selfish. But what parent doesn't receive joy and pleasure from watching their child grow and from nurturing them and participating in their life? We call that very parental. 
So God receives pleasure and joy from us, his greatest creation. And in this identity given unique communication, language, not just the ability to make sounds and understand sounds, but to create and communicate, to understand. And not just to each other. Not just from me to you and you to me, but with a unique connection to God himself, we could communicate to our heavenly creator and receive communications from him. This was a unique quality created in us. We could understand the spoken word, but we understand the living word, Jesus, as well. You could say it this way, as one writer said, because God is, man has his being. We have identity because God is. But not only are we unique by our identity, we are unique by our task. We are able to reproduce God's glory here on earth. That is our purpose, to worship God. The only creature able or created to do that. God had a plan for us. He had a purpose. And we look at scriptures like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where it's written that God declares over us, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to bring you a hope and a future. We look at that prophecy of Jeremiah, that promise of the Lord to us. And we oftentimes quote it to ourselves or to others about their future, about their purpose in that moment and in this day, and it's well applied in that context. But when God declares, I have a plan and purpose for you, he wasn't just saying it as a future tense. He's saying it from the past, from the foundations of the earth. He had a plan. He had a purpose for us, his greatest creation. So when he declares it, I have a plan for you, Not only is he saying it in that moment of time to be considered for us in the future, but he's declaring it from moments past. He's saying, I have a plan. I had it all along. Inserting Jesus into the middle of the story wasn't an afterthought. Where you find yourself today, his plan and purpose has not been thwarted by bad decisions of your own or by those whose bad decisions have affected your life. God's plan and purposes are still being carried throughout the course of human history, including your story. We were given a unique task. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says it this way, For we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is something that is true. That the things that you're here on earth to do, again, isn't by chance or fate or if I stumble into it, but because God in his forethought and in his grace, he planned and purposed your life. And all of creation, unique in this task to work and to care, to take care of creation. When you read 
in Scripture. That man was given the task to work the garden. Understand that it wasn't a vacation. It wasn't like they kicked back next to the river and got some sun. They were there to work. There was a task to to be done. There was work to be done. But in this they found pleasure and joy. They found their reason for being. For they did not do it themselves. They worked alongside God. They worked with God. In fact, they were, you could say they were co-creators with God. One of Adam's first tasks, name the animals. Whatever you, whatever you name them, they will be called that. Platypus. Way to go. Good one. We were there to create, to enjoy God's creation and to bring glory to Him, worship Him through the working of the land. I imagine in that time it was not difficult, it was not toil as we would read later in Scripture after the fall, but it truly was a pleasure. And we were there to worship, to work in relationship. And I mentioned it earlier Doing the remodel in the office is great, not because of the function, but also because of the relationship, because being able to work, maybe it's just guys, but when we sweat together, there's just something about it. When there's sawdust flying and, and you know, there's problems to be solved, you know, that's, that's where men are men, and we, we bond that way. I mean, we don't have to have our nails done or talk even. It helps when we talk because we get things done quicker, but... But in that is worship, in that is pleasure, and God is glorified when we do work well and when we enjoy the task at hand. We were unique in that part of creation. We were given dominion over, and that's the final thought, is that we were unique by status. We were unique in our status. We enjoyed a unique connection with God the Father in relationship as children of God, not just creations or creatures, but as children of God. And the writer John in First John goes on to talk about that when he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called his children, because that indeed is what we are. We have a unique status in the spiritual realm and on earth. That psalm that we saw the video on says that. Ask the questions, basically, who are we, God, that you are mindful of us, seemingly so insignificant? And yet, it almost misses the point of our uniqueness. And he goes on to say, the psalm writer, David, that we were made just a little lower than the angels, that you crowned us. You had a special plan and purpose and status for us. And ultimately, in that relationship, that unique status, we also have a unique responsibility to God and to God alone. He will judge us individually. He will judge us. Each and every one of us will stand before him. And he will hold us accountable to two things. And these are, again, unique reasons we were created. He granted us human... I'll combine all my words together. Humankind created us unique and granted us dominion over the world. That meaning... He gave us the authority to rule or subdue the earth. This isn't, isn't to take advantage for all you environmental, environmentalists. Not to take advantage and exploit the earth. 
but to be a steward, a manager of the resources. Before the fall, I think they were all vegetarians. I don't think there was any carnivores. That's just me. I, you know, all the plants were given. This is not a reason to go vegan at all. I'm just saying. The plants were given to us to eat. And in that, we were granted dominion over all of creation to steward it, to take care of it, to work it. And the other thing God grants us is free will. Verse 16 of chapter 2 in Genesis says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. We were granted dominion and we were granted free will. We had God's authority. We had God's grace to do with him what we pleased. You say that his greatest creation, in fact, was to create something that in the end could reject its creator. And this is what he does. And while we'll discuss the fall next week and as we continue this story, in this moment we see free will given to men and women to choose love and obedience or to choose fear and disobedience. In that moment we are granted choice. We are unique by identity, by task, by status, created for a reason. Band, if you'd come. As we close this morning, I, I want you to ponder that. That status of not just creation, but dearly beloved creation. Uniquely created for God, by God. This year, as you begin to look at all of the resolutions for 2014... Perhaps you will take advantage of the unique relationship and connection you've been given to God the Father through Jesus Christ. You know, it's our sin, the violation or the vandalization of that relationship that results in our separation from God. But it's that very reason that we are created that allows us to function. And I feel the more we remove the reason for our being, God, that we remove all hope. Do you ever wonder why and how our world got in the crazy state it has gotten itself into? Because we constantly have told our kids, you're nothing but an accident. You're just a chemical reaction. You got here because something bumped into something else and there, there we are. And when we say that, if not by exact words, by inference, if I'm an accident, then nothing is absolute. I'm not responsible or accountable for anything or to anyone, and I'm also not valuable. And therefore, no one else is valuable. And when we remove God, we remove the inherent value of every human being. But this morning, I want you to understand that you are valuable, inherently. Because you will never do anything for God. 
You will never give him anything that he doesn't already have. But isn't that speak to the greatness of God even more? That we, the creation that have rejected him, he's provided a way for us to come back to him. We didn't take the first step, he did. Doesn't that speak to God's great grace and mercy given to us through the person of Jesus Christ? And if we're created for a purpose, with value, then we matter. It's, it's the reason I believe that we can dream and create and imagine and love. It's because we've been created that way for a purpose. It's the reason we can reason. We can ask why. It's why we aspire for greater things and greater experiences because there must be something more. When that question, that, that longing for something that satisfies and we can't rest until we find it and everything about us, our job, our financial situation, our relationships, all scream out for something more, it seems to me that it's because there is. It's because there is something greater. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it this way. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And perhaps that's truly the greatest thought, that God created us to be with Him, to worship Him. That's why you matter, because God created you. And if you matter, you should live like it. And if you matter, it means that others matter. And so if that's true, we must live like it. This morning, as we close with worship, let's do the very thing that we were created to do. Not just in song, although I think some of our greatest moments of worship are found through expression in song. But this morning, would you ponder those thoughts? And in your heart, place God in the rightful place. It's in the mystery of it all that I find God. In the parts of creation I don't understand, I find it's in those moments that I long for God even more. And while this wasn't a creation versus evolution debate that could rage on either side, I simply am content to find that God's mystery is what I want. I don't want a God I can fully comprehend, for if I could, He's not much of a God at all. But in this moment, what we can comprehend is the person of Jesus Christ and that He is the only way back to God. And for some of you this morning, God has been a concept. Maybe He's that guy out there. He's the big guy in the sky. He's somewhere. He's distant, disconnected, and yeah, He exists but don't bother me with the details. But God never wanted to be that guy. He wanted to be your guy, your God. He wants to be personal. That's the unique connection that we have as a unique being, is connection to God himself. And this morning, I want to give you that opportunity 
we believe as Christians that it's in that moment of acknowledgement that I have violated that relationship. I have vandalized it. And in that moment that I realize that I'm desperate for something more than this world, than this world can provide, that I'm truly desperate for God, it's in that moment that we decide and we take on the image again of Christ, the very person of Jesus Christ into our own lives. The Bible says it's that moment that you are reborn or rebirthed. That's why they call us born again. <laughs> it's not some sort of crazy notion. It literally means that that breath that was once breathed into us at creation, that was taken away at the fall, is again breathed into us. That moment we say, Jesus, come into my life. I identify with you. I want to carry that image again. It's in that moment the Holy Spirit of God is breathed into our hearts and lives again. And you find new life. You are a new creation, the Bible says. The old is gone, the new has come. You've been transformed. And maybe that's you this morning. You never made it personal. Well, would you join with us in church in this holy moment? Nobody looking around. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand? It's a private moment, but it's between you and God in this place. Thank you. Anybody else? And church, as we have done and will continue to do, let's pray with those who, with lifted hand, acknowledge as we have and will continue to do that we are desperate for God. Would you repeat this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I invite you into my life. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross, providing me new life. Thank you for rising again, providing a way back. Help me to live for you. I invite you to interfere with my life, to help me become that new creation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, what a privilege it is, isn't it, church, to know that people are being recreated this morning. My hope and our prayer for you this year is that you will look to 2014, not as a continuation of 2013, but as an opportunity to step into all that God has created, uniquely tasked you for, and partner with Him in creating that, whatever it is. And it, through Scripture and through the study of the Bible, that's why I believe right now, uh, com is a great resource for you. So email me at nextsteps at c2church.com so we can get you connected to that resource. You can begin to watch the video Bible studies uh, and, and begin to take those steps closer to God this year. Well, we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great new year.